Good afternoon, family. Good to see you guys. The Lord is holy, and he calls his people who represent him to be holy, just as he is. Uh, Please open your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. This is, uh, honestly, this is a difficult passage of Scripture to read. Uh, It's, uh, frankly, a difficult passage to preach. It's not a warm fuzzy. Um, It exposes our lopsided categories of God. It also challenges our generic and casual understanding of the church. Uh, Part of what we find here is that there's grave consequences when we casually attach ourselves to the name of holy God and to his holy church. Uh, If this passage, when we read it, makes you uncomfortable, that's because it's supposed to, all right? This is not a comfort passage. This is a warning passage. Does that make sense? And the Bible's full of these things. God protects his true church by using both wonderful, sweet promises and grave warnings to draw his people to himself. Does that make sense? So please give your attention to the reading of God's word. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God." When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When then the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come uh, into your presence to hear from you. We need to hear from you. And God, I pray that uh, you would cleanse my heart and cleanse my mind 
that I would just speak only what is pleasing to you and only that which perfects your church. God, we need to hear from you. We love you and we thank you. In this passage, we see just how much you love your church and how much you love your name. So change us. Give us ears that will listen to you today and hearts that want to believe you today. And we ask that you do all these things in the name of Jesus, who is a lion as well as a lamb. Amen. Amen. The world is full of hypocrites. Have you noticed that? Both inside and outside the church. Uh, Jim Baker, ex-televangelist. Frank Abengale, con artist, made famous by that movie, Catch Me If You Can, with Tom Hanks. Bernie Madoff, former financial advisor and investor, stole billions and billions of dollars from people. All of those were convicted of fraud, right? And deception. Their names are linked with the word hypocrite. So a hypocrite is a person who presents themselves to the community in a way that's not congruent with who they really are. They present themselves to a community in a way that's not really congruent with who they actually are. That's what we mean when we say that word. They are pretenders. In fact, the word hypocrite actually comes from the Greek word, which literally means actor. Did you know that? And so they are acting at a role on the stage of life, whatever role they find themselves in in life. And so here's the thing. It's not that a hypocrite has actually done something wrong that angers us or grieves us, it's that they've actually done wrong while pretending to do right. Does that make sense? That's what bothers us. They present themselves to us in a way that has gained our trust and even gained our love and affection. So hypocrisy is not simply someone making a mistake. It's not them just having a bad day. It's a type of fraud. And that's why it hurts so deeply when hypocrisy is exposed. The scene that we just read, remember, is tightly connected to the scene that we looked at yesterday that came before it, especially that positive example of Barnabas. Remember what Barnabas did? He sold one of his fields. He gave the proceeds of that field to the apostles for the good of the faith community. And we learned that you know, the whole church was united in heart and mind. Uh, they, they were committed to bearing witness to Jesus, and they were also committed to loving one another generously. And so God is doing supernatural acts among them. Sinners are being converted, and people are being baptized, and the covenant community is growing and growing by the thousands. In fact, every day someone is leaving darkness and coming to the light. Day by day, it says their numbers are growing. I mean, everybody just wants to belong to this Jesus community, it seems like. Everybody wants to belong to this family. Because it's amazing to see people this transformed and this committed to one another. Everyone's jumping on the church bandwagon. 
right? It's the thing to do. Stuff's happening. Does this make sense? I just want to be part of whatever that's going on over there. And in the height of all this excitement, at the height of this church growth, God renders judgment on this married couple in the church for who, from whom all appearances seem to give a generous gift to the church just like Barnabas did. From the outward appearances, if you read this, it looks like they're doing exactly what Barnabas did, who was our positive example last week, right? So what's going on? It's kind of like there's this party going on. There's excitement, and someone scratches the needle on the record, and the party stops, and the music quits, and like everyone's standing around with like their drink or their snack in their hand, and the mood gets really somber. Is that the kind of feeling you're feeling when we read this passage? This is a warning passage. And we're supposed to hear the needle scratch. It's supposed to grab our attention. That's why Luke is writing it this way. It's supposed to make you and me ask, what does God want us to know? And it's supposed to make us ask, who am I in this story? Those are good and right questions to ask when we read this. And here's what God wants us to know, Crossway. Because God loves his church, he warns her about hypocrisy. Because God loves his church, he warns her about hypocrisy. And so there's two parts of this warning that uh, we're going to explore today. First of all, hypocrisy is gravely serious to the Lord. Hypocrisy is gravely serious to the Lord. Let's go to the text, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And of course the answer is, yes, it was his own. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? And, of course, the answer is, yeah, it was at his disposal to do what he wanted. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When we first read this, we might wonder, like, what is the big deal, right? What is the big deal, God? This is kind of harsh. <laughs> I mean, Ananias and his wife, they just gave some money to the church from a sale, but they didn't give all of it, right? Why did God instantly judge them for that? And the answer is because that's not what happened. In fact, Peter actually says so right after this in verse 4. That's not what happened. They were acting. They were pretending to be members of the church. They presented themselves to the faith community as a generous and invested couple, but they really weren't. They acted like they were interested in giving to the faith community, but they really wanted to gain from the faith community. In fact, the, word, uh, the words here for keep back for yourself, that phrase in the original Greek means, Greek means a skimming mechanism. Why have you devised a skimming off the top mechanism? This is not something they did on the spur of the moment, in other words, okay? 
Ananias and Sapphira, they intentionally devise a way to appear like they are part of God's community without having to participate in the sacrifice of God's community. And so in their arrogance, they believed that their plan would not only fool the whole church, but that they would actually fool God. Now that's some pride, right? Remember, in Acts, doing ministry in the name of Christ or in the name of Jesus is a big deal. The leaders don't want the apostles ministering in that name. They can't even say his name, right? So doing anything in the name is a big deal. Hypocrisy is gravely serious to God for at least two reasons. First of all, it's an assault on God's holy name and character. It's an assault on his name, his reputation, his character, who he is. Uh, Up to this point, uh, the church and the apostles are filled with the Spirit, right? They're filled with the Spirit, then they're filled with the Spirit, they're filled with the Spirit, they're filled with the Spirit, and uh uh-oh, here's someone who's filled by Satan. And so we're supposed to read that and go, wait, that doesn't fit the pattern. What's going on here, right? Peter says Satan has filled the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira to lie to God. And when they lay their gifts at the apostles' feet, they are presenting themselves as believers who have surrendered to Jesus as Lord and and supporting his mission of redemption. They're presenting themselves as people who have taken on the name. The name Christian. Christian. Right? But in reality, they're using that name for their own benefit and gain. So instead of working for the mission and reputation of Christ, they're working to get honor and esteem and uh, a reputation for themselves. And they're doing it in the name of generosity. That's the kicker to all this. They're doing it as if under the auspices of I'm giving. But I found out a way to give that I don't actually give. I get the kickback. By the way, this is exactly what Satan does, does it not? That's why Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart to do this? Satan does this. He wants to steal worship and glory and respect and honor that is due who? Jesus. He's greedy. He wants that reputation, amen? And how does he do this? How does he steal? How does he satisfy his greed? By lying. By presenting himself in a good, positive light. He makes promises too, right? So according to Peter, hypocrisy is not merely telling a lie to humans. It is a direct assault on God's reputation and character. It is taking the name of the Lord in vain. That's the third commandment, right? It is saying, I am doing this in Christ's name, but really it's for my name and glory and reputation, and so people will think well of me. And so that's real serious to God. Secondly, it's assault on God's holy people. It's assault on God's holy people. Ananias and Sapphira want to look loving and generous without having to actually be loving and generous. They aren't really devoted to the good of the other church members, but they've tried to make it look like they are. They've put some thought into this. 
And this deceit tears at the unity and the love and the trust of the entire faith community. The, the, you know, people are like, look, you wore the name Christian, so we thought that you were numbered among us. We thought you were with us. You acted like you were with us. We thought you were serious about repenting of your sins. We thought you were serious about surrendering your life to Jesus and loving the brotherhood like we are. Because we said that's what we're serious about. But it turns out that you're invested in yourself more than us. I mean, we broke bread with you. We prayed with you. We've, we followed the teachings of the apostles and gave you our trust. And you committed relational fraud against us. This hurts. Peter actually, himself actually wrote about pretenders entering the church in 2 Peter chapter 2. It's not a popular letter uh, in churches to preach out of, but it's in the Bible. So let's look at it. Verse 2 and 3. Peter warns. says, And many will follow their sensuality. They're, act, they're after whatever they can, the five senses, see, touch, taste, smell. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them... The way of truth will be blasphemed. That's the assault on God's nature or his character part. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. That's the assault on God's community. Do you see both parts of this? Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep, Peter says. Imposters in the church make people slower to open their hearts and their hands and their homes to one another. Amen? It makes unity and generosity and hospitality more difficult for the community, which is what we're supposed to do and be, right? So I want you to see the hypocrisy. It's a communal sin, guys. It is not an individual sin. God sees it as a communal thing. It affects, it pollutes all of us. You understand? Sin pollutes everything, by the way. That's why it's gravely serious to God. The second part of the warning is this. God will remove hypocrisy from his church. God will remove hypocrisy from his church, either now or later. We see it in the text here. Look at verse 9 and 10. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And we've said this over and over and over, and, and it's worth saying again. The church is unlike any other organization on the planet. It's different. Similes only go so far. And the reason it's different is because it is birthed and it is created by God's own spirit. An attack on the unity or the purity of the church is serious to God. It's his bride. 
He died for her and loves her. So remember here, the battle, the real battle here is Satan attacking God's vehicle for spreading redemption. His vehicle for doing that is what? The church. This is Satan attacking God via the church. Two very quick observations. When Peter says to to, uh, Sapphira, you agreed to test the spirit of the Lord, that that actually is a callback to the rebellion of Israel against God. And Luke's readers, their ears would have perked up when they heard that phrase. They were like, oh, we've heard this before. We've, We've seen this story play out before. That was when Israel intentionally did all that they could do to provoke God to anger, to provoke him to wrath through disobedience, misrepresenting the stuff that he says, and refusing to believe him, just flat out refusing to believe his promises. They played a game of how much sin will God take? How much sin will God tolerate before he actually does something? I mean, after all, God is loving, God is compassionate, God is merciful, so he just has to take whatever we give him. That was the game they were playing, and we know how that turned out. They lost that game, right, eventually. So here we have God telling us in the New Testament, God telling us in Acts that he does not tolerate sin among his people forever, especially hypocrisy. God can forgive it, and God will forgive it. Someone say hallelujah. But God does not tolerate it and turn a blind eye, brothers and sisters. We need to know that. And any understanding of grace that says, well, God won't punish my sin, he'll tolerate it, because he has to because he's loving and he's merciful and he's gracious is flawed theology of God's grace Luke is telling us something we need to hear God will remove pretenders from his faith community sometimes immediately but absolutely in the future in the end the prophets taught us this the apostles taught us this right I mean, look at the Apostle Peter. He says in 1 Peter four seventeen, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. To begin at the house, that's a church, right? To begin at the household of, or fa- family, right? Hey, family. To begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Or if you don't like that, we go to the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that you is plural? Y'all. Do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? The church. Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Why? For God's temple is holy, and y'all are that temple. By the way, Jesus taught this too. So we can't just like escape it and say, well, let's go to Jesus. Because Jesus taught this more than anyone. 
Jesus himself says, I will separate the sheep from the goats. He will separate the wheat from the weeds. They look similar from a distance, but upon closer examination, they're quite different. And he knows. Another observation. We need to notice how quickly these young men remove the dead bodies from the, the community. I mean, it's very unceremonious. It's very swift. Fold it up, lift them up, take them out. Did you notice that? Barely notice it. It's so fast. There's no weeping. There's no mourning. Ananias and Sapphira are judged, not by Peter, but by God. Peter just delivers the message. And they are immediately and quite literally removed from the church so as to not defile the rest of the community. God will not be mocked forever. In fact, Luke adds a little irony when he says that Sapphira falls down at the feet of Peter. That, that, that phrase is used when people prostrate themselves in worship of a deity. What's the very last act of her life? God is God. God's God. In receiving divine judgment, God's name is worshiped and glorified, and God's church is purified and protected. God will receive glory from everyone. So, how should we respond to this? I think there's two ways that we should respond to this, and we should respond. Two ways we should respond to this. First of all, we should fear the Lord and not ignore his warning. Don't blow it off. Fear the Lord and not ignore his warning. Let's go to the text. Verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So that's people outside the church. Like everybody heard about this. Uh, when you think of a hypocrite, just close your eyes just for a second. Close your eyes. I just want you to picture someone that you say, yeah, they're a hypocrite, okay? Uh, what, what name or face maybe jumps in your mind? Okay, open your eyes. Who did you picture? Was it a fam- famous pastor? Probably, right? Uh, was, it, was it a politician maybe? Uh, maybe it was a member of your family that you know. You've been having these kind of discussions. Uh, let me ask you this. Did your name and your face come to mind? I say that because there's a way to read this passage so that we actually understand what it's saying, yet avoid hearing it. And we can read the Bible that way, right? Right? It's too easy for us to think. I can't believe how deceitful and hypocritical Ananias and Sapphira were. Shame on them. You know, the the church is full of couples just like that. And nobody hates hypocrites as much as I hate hypocrites. I am so glad I'm not like Ananias and Sapphira. I could never do something like that. But the fact is that Ananias and Sapphira were ordinary people, just like you and me. So here's my question. If that's true, 
And if that desire to gain glory by pretending to be someone that we're not could enter into and operate in their heart, what keeps it from operating in your heart or mine? Really? How could it not operate in our heart if it could operate in theirs? We've said it before, I'll say it again, Crossway, we apply scripture to ourselves first before we ever apply to someone out there. Someone else doesn't need to hear this sermon. You need to hear this sermon. Use here, okay? So how do we respond? We respond by asking our God this question. Oh God, where am I pretending to take your name and pretend pretending to commit to your glory and pretending to commit to your people, but I'm really committed to myself. Would you be so kind to show me? That's how we respond. Second way we respond is this. We respond with humble gratitude. You guys know I'm a good news preacher. I always try to find some good news, even in the warning passages, right? Right? So here's the truth. Good news. We're all hypocrites, <laughs> including me. We are all hypocrites. The only question is will we be deliberate and defiant hypocrites or will we be repentant hypocrites like Peter? That's the question. Not if we are one, but what kind will we be? It should not be lost on any of us that it's Peter who confronts the couple with their hypocrisy. I mean, it was, wasn't it Peter? Was not Peter tempted by Satan to privately sabotage God's plan and his community? Remember that? Remember that story? Jesus tells his followers that the plan is for him to be rejected and crucified, and Peter says, well, wait, 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 hang on, hang on. Let's privately chat about that over here, Jesus. There might be a better way to present yourself to the world. Remember that? Mark 8, 32 and 33, and he, Jesus, he said it plainly, and Peter takes him aside. So here's all the disciples, and he pulls them away, takes him aside, and begins to rebuke Jesus. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter privately pulls Jesus aside and under the influence of Satan tries to compromise the mission. And Jesus turns and he looks at the rest of the disciples first who would become the church community and protects his church by rebuking Peter Partially. That's love. Jesus basically says, look, you are pretending to have the mission in God in mind, but you really have the things of man in mind, Peter. Your hypocrisy sets you in opposition to me, Peter, and you better stop it now. I love you. Stop now. So here's the question that I wrestled with while I was trying to work through this passage. Why did Peter live and become a pillar of the church, but Ananias and Sapphira suffered judgment and were removed? They kind of did the same thing, right? 
So why does he get to live and they don't? They get judged right away. Only because Jesus stepped in and rebuked him. And Peter listened. That's the difference. Only because Jesus intervened on his behalf and showed him grace. Grace is not earned and not deserved, right? That's the only reason. He showed him grace instead of justice. And by the way, grace looks like a warning sometimes. Grace feels like a rebuke sometimes. Jesus delayed judgment on Peter and supplied a warning instead as an act of grace. And listen, Peter accepted that grace. He saw it for what it was. So, okay. I'm so thankful that God has delayed judgment on my hypocrisy instead of, instead of judging me. Aren't you? I am so thankful that he loves me enough to rebuke me so that I might repent of my pretending and my glory greed instead of dying in my sin. Aren't you? Except for Jesus stepping in, we would all fall where we sit today. Except for God's grace interceding on our behalf, we should all be cut off and we would all be carried away. Except by God's grace, thank God for his patience toward us. Thank God for delaying his judgment on us. Thank God for giving us discipline when we deserve punishment. Praise God. And so let's respond by repenting and rejoicing for God is holy and he is good towards us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, you're all the way good, and there is no evil in you, and you are holy. So God, I pray that you would speak by the power of the Holy Spirit through your holy word and change our hearts. Show us, show us where we need to change, where we need to be more congruent. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for warnings as well as promises. Help us hear you and help us run towards you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.